My wife, Lisa's uh, cousin, Jeff, has been a professional chef for the last couple decades. And I'll never forget when he was actually getting trained. He was up in New York at a place called the Culinary Institute of America or <clears throat> the CIA, right? He's part of the CIA. He thought he was so cool uh, doing that. But we went up to visit. And one of the things as we were going around the campus, and I actually don't remember a lot about it or even the, the meal that we ate there at CIA, but I do remember this. Jeff took us to this place called the Experimental Kitchen. And he said, what happens here in the Experimental Kitchen is you're allowed to just experiment with things. You can try different pairings of foods and different flavors and spices all together just to see what happens. And nobody judges you. It's just you're experimenting. You're trying things out. But even that wasn't the uh, thing that fascinated me most about the Experimental Kitchen. Actually, what really fascinated me was he said the professors intentionally encourage the students to take recipes, like famous recipes, but leave out one key ingredient. Like making the, the best cake in the world, but you leave out eggs. Or maybe you leave out the flour. And the, the point that the professors make when they have them do this in the experimental kitchen of leaving things out is they want to prove to them that, yes, it's great to experiment with food, but some things are essential. Some things you absolutely have to have in order to make sure that the meal or the dessert or whatever it is that you're doing is not just a complete flop. Now, I bring all this up because today we're wrapping up this series called Simple Money, Rich Life. And I want to continue looking at this sort of equation that John Wesley, the, the famous theologian and pastor, that he sort of came up with. Now, he had this very elaborate quote. We looked at it back in week one. But the paraphrase of it is something I've put on your outline for you each and every week. Hopefully, you're memorizing it by now. They're going to put it on the screen for you right now. But we're going to do four things when it comes to money. We're going to do what? We're going to earn all we can. We're going to save all we can. We're going to give all that we can. And then finally, we're going to enjoy it all. Just like Jeff and the experimental kitchen and the recipes that you can't leave out a key ingredient, it's the same thing here. These are the ingredients for financial joy and for financial success in your life. If you leave even one of them out, it's going to be a complete flop. You've got to do each and every one. Now, here's the problem as we look at those four. Earn all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. And all of us, we want to enjoy money, right? We want to enjoy it. At least intellectually, we say that we want to enjoy it. Here's the problem. The first three, most Americans, including many of you, you hate the first three. You hate your job. You don't want to earn more money. You're like, man, I wish I could be retired by now. You don't want to earn more. You hate your job. And then when it comes to like saving money, no, 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 I hate saving. I want to spend money. I don't want to save money. I want to just spend, 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 spend. And then give? People hate to give. Why would I want to give? I got things that I want to do. And see, if, if you're not doing all the things, you're never truly going to enjoy money in, in the way that we read throughout Scripture. You're never going to have the abundant life that Jesus talks about. You see, here's the thing. If you're just earning all you can, but you're not doing the other three, that's very short-sighted. Or if you're earning all you can and saving all you can, but then you're never giving, you're missing out on opportunities that Jesus would have for you. 
And if you're earning all you can and, and saving all you can and then giving all you can, but then you're not actually enjoying it, again, you're missing out on the abundant life that Jesus promised that we can have. So we have to have all four of these in order to make the equation work. And then it's this last one, the enjoy all you can, that some people feel guilty about it. That, well, should I be enjoying it all? Well, yes, you, you should. But here's what I want you to remember. Your ultimate joy isn't in finances. It has nothing to do with your money. It doesn't have anything to do with the possessions that you own. Your ultimate joy needs to be found in Jesus. And if you're trying to find your joy in anything or anyone but Jesus, you're always going to be let down. Here's what C.S. Lewis, the famous author, had to say in his classic book, Mere Christianity. He says, nearly all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Again, if you're pursuing anyone or anything other than Jesus for your joy, for your, for your happiness, you're going to be greatly disappointed. The Apostle Paul, he was writing to the young guy who he was discipling, a young man by the name of Timothy. And he writes this in, in 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says to Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Now, a couple of points I want to make from that particular scripture there. First of all, many of you are going, whew, that one doesn't apply to me because Paul said, tell those who are rich. And I'm not rich, so I don't even have to look at that scripture anymore. But here's the thing. You are rich. You really, really are. Did you know that if you make even minimum wage here in this country, which is, I think, what, $7.50 an hour? If you make $7.50 an hour, and you work 40 hours in the week, you're still in the world's top 25% of the richest people. If your entire household, not just you, your entire household makes $33,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of the world's richest people. If you make $50,000 a year, again, combined as a household, you're in the top 5% of the world's richest people. If you go up to $100,000 a year combined as a household, you're in the top 1% of the world's richest people. So let's face it, we are rich. And this scripture is applying to us. We are very, very, very blessed. And so Paul says, look, you are rich. And he says, give them these reminders. But he says, all the things that God has given us, the reason he has blessed us is for our enjoyment. It's for us to enjoy. So it's not wrong to enjoy the blessings that God has given to us. It's what we talked about last week. Remember the illustration I did with the, the fare tickets? That you were given a thousand fare tickets, and I said, all right, for every one that you give away, I'm going to give you ten dollars that can be used beyond the fare. And then the question was, okay, should I give all of them away, or do I get to actually enjoy some of them? Well, you get to enjoy some. It's not wrong to enjoy some of the blessings that God has given, but just make sure you're not keeping them all for yourself and only enjoying it for yourself. Make sure that you are giving some of them away. 
And that's why Paul continues on then in verses 18 and 19. He says, instruct them to do, and them meaning you, the rich people, not me, the rich people, instruct them to do as many good deeds as they can and to help everyone. Remind the rich to be generous and to share what they have. This will lay a solid foundation for the future so they will know what true life is like. And so I talked to you last week that, look, this world is not our home. Stop living like this is it. Stop storing up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. Jesus says, no, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's where you ultimately live. That's your eternal destiny. He says, when you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, moth and rust do not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. And then Jesus said those very famous words, for where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be as well. We've got to be very, very careful. And we talked about this back in week one of the series, that money is just a tool. But we've got to be careful with that tool. Because if we make it the ultimate thing in our lives, that means that's where our heart is at. And Jesus wants to be first in our hearts. Not money, not possessions, not things. And so we've got to learn to be generous because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. All right, so if you truly want to enjoy finances, then what are some principles that we can look at to do? Well, there's three things I want to talk to you about today. The first one on your outline is this. I must learn to enjoy the process towards financial freedom and any progress I'm making towards it. Paul there said to Timothy that money can be a very unreliable and unpredictable thing. And what you need to understand is that your path to financial freedom is going to have some ups and it's going to have some downs. There's going to be times when you're doing all the right things. You're making the sacrifices. You're, you're doing the things we talked about in this series that, you know, you, you're earning all you can and you're, you're saving all you can. You're giving all that you can. You're trying to enjoy it all, but yet it seems like you're not making any progress at all. It seems like things are going against you. They're not in your favor. But I want to say to you, this is not the time to quit. This isn't the time to go, oh man, these principles that Gilbert talked about, they're just simply not working. No, just keep on going because progress is way different than what we think it is. Completely different. In fact, I talked about this with you a couple years ago. We did a series called uh, Uphill Habits. I think it was the uh, beginning of a year, maybe 2021. And I wanted to talk to you about how do you establish new habits in your life? And I shared with you what progress looks like and how it's so different than what we think it looks like. And so I want to share that with you again. They're going to put it on the screen here for you. That progress, we think, looks like just a, a straight up into the right type of line. That, you know, I'm putting in the work, I'm putting in the effort, and just like, man, it's just going to keep getting better and better and better and better for me as time goes on. But that's not how progress works. In fact, here's what progress looks like. They're going to put it there on the screen for you. Here's what it actually looks like. It's up and it's down. It's all over the place. And what you'll notice, the blue line there, at first, it's just barely going up at all. I mean, you're putting in all the hard work. You're doing all the effort, and you're just barely even moving the needle at all. But then all of a sudden, you get a little bit of momentum going. It's like, yeah, all right, good. Things are going for me. But then it goes down. And this is where most goals, people give up on them. Whether it's a financial goal, whether it's like a weight loss goal that you have because you set a New Year's resolution, maybe it was a goal that you had to read all the way through the Bible. We, we make a little bit of progress, and then it seems like we get that momentum going, and 
boom, something happens. And people are like, all right, it just doesn't work. And they give up on it. And what they call this, this, this downward thing here is the valley of disappointment. It's the valley of disappointment. You're disappointed because you had seen some gains. You were, you know, financially starting to get ahead. You were losing the weight. You were getting into, you know, you read all the way through Genesis, and then you got to Exodus, and you're like, oh, boy. And then Leviticus, you're like, okay, I give up. It's this valley of disappointment. Things aren't going the way you thought. What I'm saying to you is keep on going. Don't quit. Things are going to start to improve for you, and then they're going to go down, and then they're going to improve, and then they're going to go down. But then there's one more thing here that you need to understand. You notice on the chart there, there's this point where it just like takes off and it skyrockets. That's called the tipping point. And this tipping point, that's when all of a sudden it doesn't, it isn't hard anymore. It is now a habit in your life. In the case of this series, now it's just a habit that, man, I'm looking for more ways to earn. I'm looking for more ways that I can save. I'm looking for more ways that I can give. It's not hard anymore. And I've got all this momentum going. Now, does that mean it's just always going to keep going like that? No, you're still going to have some ups and downs. But notice at the end of the chart there, the ups are way higher than what the downs are. You just keep going and going and going and going. But you can't give up. You can't give in. You see, the thing about goals in general, or in this case in, in finances, it requires a lot of work up front at the very, very beginning. It's going to be slow, and there's going to be some hiccups. But once you reach that tipping point, things move faster than you ever expected, and it takes a lot less effort than you ever thought it was going to take. And in the case of finances, it's when you hit that tipping point that all of a sudden, man, all your debts are starting to be paid off, like just boom, 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 boom. You're paying them all off really, really quickly. It's at this point that now, you know, you're paying cash for cars. You're no longer taking out loans for things like that anymore. It's at this point that, you know, major expenses come up, major, uh, you know, emergencies. And you're like, all right, it's inconvenient, but it's just a minor hiccup. And we're able to pay the cash for it to be able to, to get ourselves back and to, you know, repair whatever it is that we had to, had to do. All because you didn't give up. And you learn to enjoy the process and the progress you made, even on the days that it seemed like you were making none. I think that's a little bit of what Paul's talking about in Galatians 6, 9, when he says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, for more details on some of the things that I've been talking about there, whether it's the habits or even more of the financial things, I want to encourage you to go and watch that Uphill Habits series. I'm going to talk to you about how do you break bad habits, how do you start good habits, how do you do all those types of things. But then also want to encourage you to go to the series that I did back in uh, 2020 at the very beginning of the year called Economy. And what I did in that is I gave the step-by-step, detail-by-detail plan that Lisa and I have been following for 23 years now of how do you get out of debt, how do you stay out of debt, how do you save up for emergencies? How do you invest into the future? And how do you learn to become radically generous? And so, again, th this series has been more of that 30,000-foot view of finances. But if you want the practical how-tos, go watch that Economy series. It's on our website, exponential.church.
All right, so number one in enjoying it all, we've got to learn to enjoy the process towards financial freedom and any progress I'm making towards it. Number two, I must learn to be content. In other words, you've got to learn to enjoy what it is you already have. Remember back in week one, I was sharing with you about John D. Rockefeller and how when he lived, he actually had 1% of all the wealth in America? I mean, that's amazing, right? One man in America had 1% of the entire country's wealth. How many of you going, I'd like to be John D. Rockefeller. I'd like to have 1% of all the, the wealth. Well, that sounds attractive that, you, that he had all those things, but you know what he didn't have? He didn't have a car. He didn't have air conditioning. He didn't have a computer. He didn't have airplanes. He didn't have a smartphone in his pocket. He didn't have a million other things that you and I consider just basic everyday types of things. He didn't have those things. But yet, we think he was rich, and oftentimes we think that we're poor. The reality is the things that you and I today can buy for $100 or $200, he couldn't have spent millions of dollars to get because it just simply didn't exist. What I'm trying to say to you today is that the overall average American today has a much easier and more comfortable life with more conveniences and luxuries than what John D. Rockefeller did with 1% of all the wealth of the nation. See, that gives a completely different perspective, doesn't it? So would you rather be Rockefeller with 1% of all the wealth, or would you rather be you and you have all these luxuries and conveniences that we have today. I think most of us will say, man, I'd rather be living right here and right now with what I got. My point is, don't ever, ever measure your joy and happiness by how much money you have in your bank account or how much money you have in your retirement account. No, you, you've got to learn to be content with what you have and thank God for all the modern conveniences that we have today and that we live in the country that we live in. I mean, there, there's so much that people complain about our country. Stop complaining about our country. I've been around the world now. I've been in places you do not want to live. JT is shaking his head. He's been to Iraq. You don't want to live there. Many of us, we've been to Haiti together. You don't want to live there. Stop complaining about America. You live in the world's best country. Here's another way to think about it. How many of you own a car? All right, many people in the world don't own a car. All right. How many of you have a garage that you can put your car into? Many of you have a, a garage. Now, maybe you don't actually keep your car there because you're storing up all the stuff that you've accumulated, which is entirely weird to try to explain to people in third world countries that we're so rich that we, like, not only have a car, but we have this place that our car sleeps. And, and, I mean, think about it. Your car has a better place to live, a bigger place to live than most people in the world have to live in themselves. We're talking about your car. But then many of you, you don't even park your car in the garage because you've accumulated so much stuff that you can't even keep in your closet. You can't even keep it in your basement. Now you need to put it in a garage. And I shared this with you before. Did you know the storage industry here in the United States is a $5 billion a year industry? We have so much crap that we don't even have room at home for it. We got to go rent places to keep it. 
I mean, it's ridiculous. So stop complaining about all the things you don't have. You are very, very rich. You are very, very wealthy. Be content with what it is that you have. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have heard the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. And again, I want to encourage you, if your contentment is dependent on anything other than Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. Because those things that you just need to buy, I have to have it. I won't be happy unless I have it. Realize that eventually it's going to break down. It's going to wear out. It's going to get stolen. Or it's going to go out of fashion. And by the way, it's the same way with people. If your happiness and your contentment has to do with a person, your spouse, with your child, with your family, people eventually let you down. We've got to put our hope and our trust in the Jesus because Jesus never, ever lets us down. So you got to learn how to be content or, or life becomes like, going back to like the fair, you remember at the fair, you could do that whack-a-mole thing that you had those like that rubber mallet and like the little mole would pop up and you're like trying to hit the mole. Well, that's how life is going to be. If you're just constantly chasing after things, as soon as you get this thing, something else pops up. And you're like, oh, it's shiny. It's brilliant. I need to have it. And as soon as you get that, then there's something else that pops up. And you're just going to constantly be wore out by that. You're just constantly chasing things. It's going to be tiring for you. And Satan wants nothing more than for you to play that game because he knows as long as you're like, ooh, 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 shiny, oh, oh, yeah, got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. As long as you're just consumed with that, you're not actually advancing God's kingdom. You're not doing the things that he would have for you to do here on this planet. So stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. Remember, the Joneses are broke. They put it all on their credit card. They have major credit card debt. So stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. And learn to be grateful for what you have. Learn to be content. And the result is, not only are you going to be better off spiritually and financially, but health-wise, you're going to be better as well. You go, what do you mean by that? Well, research has actually shown that people who are content are 25% happier than those who aren't content. And so one of the things I want to encourage you to do is every single day, at the end of your day, before you go to bed, just keep a little journal. And it doesn't have to be long. You don't have to, like, do your diary. You know, I'm not talking that type of thing. Just five things in the day that you're grateful for. And don't, like, every day, don't, like, cheat, because every day you should be grateful for, oh, I got a relationship with Jesus, and I'm grateful for my spouse. I'm grateful for my kids. Okay, I got three of them done. No, no, no. Every day, try to come up with five things from that day that you're grateful for. Now, it may still involve your spouse, you know, or it may involve your kids in some way, but be very specific in that way. Five things that you're grateful for. Because again, what the research has shown is that people who practice an attitude of gratitude like this, they have a stronger immune system, they have lower blood pressure, they sleep better, they have more energy, and they're less lonely. Again, it's not only going to be good for you from a spiritual standpoint, from a financial standpoint, learning how to be content, but from a health standpoint as well. I think that's what Paul was talking about when he says, I've learned the secret to being content. 
All right, number three then on your outline is, I must learn to rest in order to experience financial joy. Now, first, this is going to sound counterintuitive, that, wait, what, you know, rest? What's that have to do with it? Well, I've talked to you in the past about how God's math and our math are not the same. And we've talked about that, like, even last week with the tithe, right? That it's so weird for us to think that, okay, if I give 10% back to the church, and remember, it's actually not giving, you're just returning when you're tithing. When you return that tithe back, 90% with God's blessing is actually greater than 100% with God's curse on it. So 90 actually is bigger than 100. What's the same way with your time? When you give one day of rest to God and say, this is your day, I'm giving it to you, and I'm not going to work, God says, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bless the remaining six days more so than if you had been working all seven days yourself. So in this case, six is actually greater than seven. Now, from a biblical standpoint, we call this the Sabbath, that one day out of every seven is to be given as a day of rest. And just like the tithe, this is a huge step of faith because intellectually it seems stupid. It may even seem irresponsible that there's one day that I'm just not doing anything. I'm just giving it to God. But Bob Lotek in the book, Simple Money, Rich Life, which we base this series off of, he writes this. He says, the Sabbath is an invitation to trust God with all things on our to-do list. It's an opportunity to say, God, this seems urgent and important, but I choose to let it sit until tomorrow and instead rest and enjoy this day that you have made. I choose to trust that you're fully in control and that you will work out all things on my plate. And then Bob in the book, he quotes another author, his name's Mark Buchanan, and Mark writes this. He says, the rest of God is not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It's a sheer gift. It is a stop work order in the midst of the work that's never complete, never polished. Sabbath is not the break we've allotted at the tail end of completing all of our tasks and chores, the fulfillment of all of our obligations. It's the rest we take smack dab in the middle of them without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us that we could. One day out of every seven is to be a day of rest. Now, a couple questions you have is probably this. The first one is, well, what am I allowed to do or what can't I do on this Sabbath day? Well, here's the thing. Don't think about all the things you can't do. Think about the things that you can do. And by do, what I mean is what is it that nourishes you? What is it that refreshes you? What gives you energy? What revitalizes you? Now, ultimately, yes, this is a day of, uh, that you want to give to God. You want it to be a day of worship to him but he wants you to enjoy it, to get refreshed in the midst of the day. What is it that refreshes you physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? Now, whatever it is, just make sure that has nothing to do with your nine-to-five job of how you get paid. So, for example, for me, I can't do Sunday as my Sabbath day because I'm working right now. This is a work day for me. So, For me, Friday for many, many years now has been, that's my day off. And so what do I do on Fridays? First of all, I sleep until I'm done. 
I don't care what time that is. There's no alarms. If it's 8 o'clock, great. I get up at 8. If it's 9, great. The other week it was 11. I sleep until I'm done. Next thing, I still do my daily devotional time with God. Remember, the Sabbath is devotion to God, of that relationship with him. And so my personal devotional relationship with Jesus is different than the relationship I have with Jesus as I'm preparing sermons to preach to you. And so I still practice that devotional time. I just don't think about sermons, or I try not to think about sermon stuff uh, in the midst of it. I mean, you can't help sometimes. You're like, oh, that'll preach, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm not actually then, like, actually working on anything with it. Um, most of you know, Fridays, if you email me, you're not getting a response. You text me, unless you're like, Gilbert, I'm on my deathbed. <laughs> you're not getting a response. Phone calls I very, very rarely uh, would take, unless I think it's an emergency of, of some sort. I just, no work on, on Fridays. Uh, that's Lisa and I's date day, and so that looks different each week. Sometimes we're like, hey, let's go out. Let's you know grab a meal together, you know, whatever. Sometimes this Friday, we're like, nothing. And Lisa's like, let me look through our little coupon book thing here. And she's like, are you in the mood for McDonald's? I was like, no, but let's do it anyway, right? You know? <laughs> um, so we, we, I went out. I had a couple errands to run, you know, to go to the bank and, and uh, drop something off at the, uh, at the UPS store and then swung by McDonald's, you know, and, and that was our, <laughs> our thing. And we watched a, a TV show together as we're eating our McDonald's Big Macs, right, uh, that we got. Um, but sometimes we go out, you know, maybe see a movie or, or we'll go shopping or we'll go to Lancaster. You know, we, we love tea. Tea is something that brings a lot of enjoyment for us. And so how do we spend some of our money as, as our fun money? We go to all the tea shops and we try all the different teas and, and we buy those things. But again, Fridays are, are for us, is, it's our Sabbath day. It's just a day of rest and not to do anything that is related to our normal work. Now, here's the deal. There are some things that I do on Fridays that you would go, oh, wait, isn't that work? So, for example, one thing that brings me great enjoyment is my koi pond. And so we've got our, our pond and we got the fish in it and everything. And so sometimes I'll go out and it'll be a hot day and I'm sweating and stuff because I'm in the dirt. I'm landscaping. I'm doing different things. I'm making the waterfall a little bit different. There you go, but Gord, that, that's work. Well, no, for me, that actually is enjoyment. That, that's refreshing because for the most part, like all week long, I'm sitting at a computer screen. And so actually getting out and doing something physical in nature, to me, that actually is refreshing. Now, Levi, from here at Exponential, who owns a landscaping company, that would be work for him to go out and, and do a koi pond on a Friday because that's too much related to what he does. And so for you, it's going to be your Sabbath and my Sabbath. It's going to be different what it looks like for you. But what energizes you? What refreshes you? What gives you energy? Second question you have then is, what does any of this have to do with money? Because <laughs> aren't we like in a financial series right now? So what, what does taking a Sabbath day have to do with money? Well, again, we're looking at how do we enjoy it all? And as long as you're doing rest as a part of your plan, then part of that rest is enjoying the fruit of your labor. So Lisa and I, you know, we've done good through the years that we've earned all we can and we save all we can, we give all we can. 
And God has blessed us immensely. So part of our Fridays is let's enjoy the blessing that God has given us. And so that's whether it be going out to eat or, you know, going shopping and doing various things. We have earned that at this point. Uh, it's just the same way for you then. You know, once you're doing the other things, earning all you can, saving all you can, giving all you can, now it's time to enjoy it. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Go to Hershey Park for the day. Go out shopping. Go do a, a round of, of golf. Eat out. Do, do whatever. Uh, for Lisa and I, another way that we enjoy the fruit of our labor and it's a part of our rest is vacationing. You guys see our Facebook post. We vacation well. Why? Because, again, we've, we've got to the place where we can do that. Don't ever do the thing of, well, we want to go on a nice vacation, so we're just slapping it on the credit card. No, 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 no. You haven't got that place. Remember, progress. It's slow at first, but eventually you hit that tipping point, and now you're able to do all the things that you ever wanted to do. So vacations are important. Regardless of, of how you vacation or, or what your Sabbath uh, is going to look like, we've got to learn to enjoy life, and we've got to learn to enjoy the money that God has entrusted to us, that he's blessed us with. But most of all, we've always got to learn that we need to trust in Jesus. As I wrap up today, uh, let me again encourage you, if you want a step-by-step -step of how to get to the place where we've gotten, that's the economy series. This was Bob's sort of his book and his sort of overview of finances. I would recommend you get his book because he did get a little bit more practical of some of the things that he does than what I was able to do in the series and, and cover. So I would recommend that. But most of all, I don't want to recommend to you the resource of the economy series that I preached or the book that Bob wrote. The greatest resource you have for your finances is right here. Everything you ever need to know in life is found in here. You got a question about your marriage. You got a question about your finances, how to raise your kids, about your anger problem, about, you know, anything that you have, how to be a better employee, how to be a better boss, whatever it is, all the answers are in here. So that's why it's very, very important that every day we're digging in, we're growing in our relationship with Jesus, and we're seeing what he has to say about how to live the best life that we possibly can. As we get to know Jesus, all of a sudden we begin to trust him more. And we start to, to trust his promises that he's given us, and he never, ever will let you down. Listen, life is not for the faint of heart. It's going to be full of obstacles, but with his help, life is well worth it. So one more time, four things we're going to do with our money. We're going to do what? We're going to earn all we can. We're going to save all we can. We're going to give all we can. And finally, we're going to enjoy it all. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for this series uh, that we've been able to go through over these past four weeks. Lord, I, I pray that it has touched people's hearts. It's touched their lives. And more importantly, it's touched their wallets and their purses and their credit cards as well that, Lord, we would see that you actually own it all. We don't own anything. We are just managers of your stuff. And so, Father, I pray that uh, we would become better stewards, better managers of the things you've entrusted us with, and that we would realize that life here isn't about accumulating as much as we can for ourselves, but really what we want to do is store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And so as we're looking forward to our future home, we can use money as a tool to advance your kingdom here on this earth. 
And so help us, Lord, to earn all we can, to save all we can, to give all we can, to enjoy it all, not for our glory, but for your glory. Jesus, help us to start to see money in the way that you saw it as just simply a tool, but also recognizing that it's a tool that'll be the number one competitor uh, that, that'll keep us from following you with all of our hearts. And so, Father, I just pray that we would trust you fully, not money. Trust you, not things. Trust you, not possessions. Put our trust in you. And we know that as we do that, we surrender our finances over to you, and we're generous, become radically generous, that you're going to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on us that there's not even going to be room enough to contain it all. So, Father, help us to live with an attitude of gratitude for what we have. And even sometimes the little that we have, help us to continue just to give it away, knowing that you're going to bless us for that. Jesus, thank you that you've done it in Lisa and I's lives, that you're doing it in many of the lives of the people here and they're watching online. You're going to do it in the lives of those who are now just starting to put those principles into practice. But, Lord, help them not to give up. Help them to persevere. It's going to seem slow at first. It's going to seem grueling at first. There's going to be some hiccups, but help them to keep pushing on, to get through that valley of disappointment, to hit that tipping point. And oh man, when that momentum starts to hit, your financial blessing is so much greater than what we could ever possibly hope or imagine. So thank you for that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.